morning. If you have your Bible and you would like to follow it on, please open it to John chapter 4 and reading the first 14 verses from the NIV version. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks, water will be thirsty, who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. And this is God's word. Hello again. Well, I love that passage that Nigel just read to us, and I'm excited um, to be able to be here today um, and to bring a message that I feel that God has put on my heart. Um, I would like for us first just to pray. I I wonder if you would join me in praying. Father God, we thank you that your word is true, that your word is alive and it speaks to us and teaches us, and through it that your Holy Spirit can convict us and challenge us and bring us great joy of who we are in you. I pray today, Father, that, uh, that my words will be your words and not my own. I pray that our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say. That you will use me in this place, Father. Amen. I was like to pray before I bring a message because otherwise I get a little bit, a bit nervous or a bit antsy. Um, but I'm excited. Um, I wanted to to share with you um, a message about Jesus and and 
how he affected the lives of women and children, not just in the time that he walked on the earth, but even now and even today. And as I prayed and I read the scriptures and the Jesus, the game changer, um, the people who created that gave some fantastic tips and passages and, um, and sermon suggestions and thoughts. And, and as I read all of these scriptures, I became overwhelmed that there are so many passages and so many places where Jesus engaged with women in a way that was so different and so unexpected. I want to stop, though, and I want to have a think, and this is something I struggled with. I completely stand up here and acknowledge that I am a a white woman in my mid-30s who is married, who has children. I got to choose who I married because I love him and he's great. (laughs) I get to choose the kind of job that I would like to have. I get to raise my children in the faith And so I need to acknowledge that I I am so privileged to be able to stand up here and share this message. But I also want to acknowledge there's people here in our congregation that might be a bit older than me and might remember a time when there were some hard-fought battles for the, the freedoms that I now get to live. There are people from other cultures that have experienced a different level of where women sit in society. And so I actually found it really hard in some places to to think about what would it have been like to be a woman or a child in the time of Jesus? Because I was viewing it through the lens of where I sit now in my privilege today. And so I want to set a scene for us by describing some of the stuff that we have discovered over time in the historical context of what it was like, just so that we can set the scene and that we can know and put ourselves in the place of women and children when they encountered the Messiah. Now, you have to forgive me, I'm terrible with the technology. Oh, I've got to point it this way. Is it working now? I'm clicking it, but it's... Oh, wait, no, there we go. There we go. Now it's working. Okay. So what did it look like for women in the Greco-Roman times? Now, Plato wrote that women were completely inferior to men in every way, intellectually, physically, emotionally, and because they were inferior, they should be treated as though they are inferior. Women were married very young in that time and there was often a huge age gap between the wives and their husbands. So you could imagine a teen marrying a man in his, you know, in his late 20s or 30s or maybe even older. There was no rights for a woman 
There was no prenuptial agreements back then or no um, understanding that if this, if this marriage doesn't work out, I get half of everything. Those kinds of things didn't exist. Women didn't have any rights of reply when it came to how they were treated or what was expected of them in a marriage. In fact, husbands had an expectation that a wife, a good wife, would provide them with a male child. So this is the kind of culture that the women are a part of in this time. They could be divorced too, which I, I, I thought that was really interesting that um, you can, they could be divorced just by the husband writing them a certificate of divorce if he just decided. So there was no security for them in their marriages. Doesn't like me, this thing. There we go. So there was, um, <coughs> there was a book um, that was written by O.M. Barkey called When Children Became People. And he quoted Plato, and he wrote frequently how Plato would group children with other marginal members of society, such as women and slaves and animals. Now, I found that really a struggle when I thought about that, that women and children were grouped in the same category as, as the animals. What came out of that society then became a sense of worthlessness for women and for children. If you're in a home group, you would have seen, um, if you watched the video this week on women and children, uh, there was a discussion in which Carl Fays talked about the uh, action of exposure. So when we look at the historical data of the time, it tells us that there was about 25% more men than there were women. And a lot of that is attributed to the action of exposure. What that was, was when a child was born, either that family couldn't provide for them or that child was a girl and therefore seen as a drain on the family unit. And so parents would engage in exposure, which meant that they would take their child, sometimes maybe two days old, and they would leave their child on the street, often near a rubbish tip, exposed to the elements, just washing their hands of it, so to speak. And if that child was found by someone who perhaps wanted to take them, then they would, they would take them in and they would perhaps become a slave in that person's household. But more than not, that child was left there to die. So this is the culture of women and children at the time. This is the culture where Bach writes... Children and slaves were the father's property, just like material objects. To a very large extent, he could treat his wife and his children and other household members as he pleased, without fear of legal consequences. 
So let's just let that sit for a second. That's the culture that the Jesus that we know comes into. So let's examine now what happened in that place for those women in that time. And as we open the scriptures, immediately we see that Yahweh God had a plan. He had a plan to send Jesus to save us, but not just that. He had a plan for restoration for the people who were least thought of in society. And the first thing that we see, and this jumps out at me instantly when I read the scriptures, God's choice for the Messiah. He could have sent a king riding in on a white horse to save the day, but he chose for the Messiah to be born as a child. The one who is least thought of is now the greatest. God chose Mary, a teen who was unmarried, to give birth to our Saviour. So straight away we see God's got a plan. The people who are on the outside of society, the people who are unthought of and unseen, are suddenly thrust into the spotlight of the narrative of Jesus in the Gospels. As his ministry grows, Jesus highlights, and this is what we talked about this morning with the kids, he highlights that it's something to become, to be a child. That there's something there that perhaps society is missing when they look at children. And then, of course, as we talked about with the kids, and I love the fact that they know that story so well. I mean, that really speaks to how cool our kids are at this church and those who are teaching them. But Jesus took something so incredibly small from a boy and turned it into something big. And the Scriptures doesn't really tell us what happened to the boy after that. But, I mean, I bet you his life was completely changed. I mean, could you imagine, you know, just having a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and then suddenly Jesus takes that and turns it into something huge. And that boy was not peripheral to the story. He wasn't on the outside of the story. He was right there with the disciples, with Jesus in the midst of it. So suddenly we see again Jesus bringing children and placing them at the forefront as a part of his ministry. So this is some of the examples that we see when it comes to women, uh, when it comes to children. But let's talk about women. This one excites me a lot. Okay. So I was reading through the Gospels and I was praying and I was looking at just woman after woman after woman that Jesus encounters. There are so many. So many that, in fact, I think I probably wasn't even aware of the weight of it until I got out a pen and paper and started listing them down. Every piece of scripture there's, where there's an interaction between Jesus and a woman, there's a lot. 
And I'm pretty certain that he did that on purpose. So here's just a couple to consider before we actually get into that woman at the well, which is what I really want to unpack a little bit more. Mary and Martha. Now, this one is mentioned in the Game Changer video as well. But Mary and Martha is a really good example of Jesus taking what we would consider to be, you know, the the appropriate behaviour of the time in Martha and turning it on its head. So Mary and Martha are with Jesus. Martha is doing the housework. She's cleaning. She's getting the food ready. And Mary is just sitting with Jesus and learning from him. And Martha accuses Mary of being lazy. She turns to Jesus. She says, Jesus, what are you doing? Why don't you tell my sister to help me? And he says something very clear to her. He says, she has chosen this and it will not be taken away from her. She's chosen this. Suddenly, women in the presence of Jesus get a choice about things. Now, not to say that Martha was doing something wrong by doing the housework or preparing the meal. But Mary had the opportunity to sit, to choose to sit and learn from Jesus. And no one was going to take that away from her. Suddenly, women have the opportunity to learn in the presence of Jesus. You see, he valued them in their relationships. And then we see how indebted they are to him. And I think it's worth noting that the women were present at the crucifixion. They didn't leave, they stayed. I think it's important that we acknowledge that Mary is actually the first person that Jesus revealed himself to upon the resurrection. Granted, she thought he was a gardener and was obviously overwhelmed. But then he says to her, go and tell. Go and tell the disciples. And so now we see that Mary becomes the first evangelist to go and tell of the risen news of Jesus. Now, he could have appeared to anyone. In fact, it probably, you know, people often say, why? Why would he have appeared to a woman, a woman who had no voice, who had no ability to testify in a court of law? But I think it just goes to show again that Jesus wants to highlight the women as a part of the kingdom of God. And there's so many others through the gospel. We have Jairus' daughter, which is one of my favourites. We have the story of the bleeding woman. We have the woman who's caught in adultery. Again and again and again, Christ comes and he brings light to women who are previously unseen and unvalued. We also know that he had other women as a part of his ministry. And these women aren't mentioned greatly, but they do appear in Luke's gospel. We have Joanna, we have Susanna, who actually travelled with Jesus. They funded his ministry out of their money and means. 
sometimes we tend to overlook them, but I think it's worth acknowledging them. Jesus approached women regardless of their position and as their, of their stance of their communities, and he built a relationship with them. But none of them speak to me more than the Samaritan woman at the well. And Nigel read a part of that passage. I'm not going to read all of it because it's actually 42 verses long. But can I encourage you to maybe go home and have a read of that today? Maybe read it with fresh eyes or you might be reading it for the first time. And have a look at the woman in that situation and how her life has changed. You see, so again, if we want to set the scene, this is a woman who intentionally goes to a well in the stinking hot day. Now, oh wait, I went too far. There we go. That was the best kind of representation of an image that I could find of a well in the middle of the day. And obviously that's a water pump well, so it's not the same. But it's not in the middle of town, it's on the outsides. It would have been hot and dusty. It was not the right time of day to be going. But she was there because she was living in a place of being unseen. The people in the town would see or acknowledge her only to judge her. We see this as her interaction with Jesus unfolds and he tells her things that he couldn't possibly have known. He talks about, you know, he says to her, go and get your husband. She says, I have no husband. And he's like, I already knew that. He talks to her about who she is and what he can offer her. He sees her. He sees her and he knows her and he loves her. And this is a woman who remains unseen, unknown and unloved. But he sees her for who she is and for who he made her to be. If we go further in the scripture than what Nigel read today, we discover that he talks to her about the living water. She realises that he is the Messiah. And she says to him in verse 25, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And then sometimes we kind of stop there and we miss because there's another section where the disciples come back and and they have another conversation. But the key part for me in this passage is verse 39 to 42. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more believers, many more <clears throat> became believers. And this is the cool bit, verse 42. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. You see, not only did Jesus see the real her, not only did he offer a living water, not only did he offer her salvation, but suddenly here is a woman who was unseen, unknown and unloved. And what do we read in verse 42? They said to the woman. I love that. So suddenly here's a woman with very little credibility and she shares her testimony of her encounter with Jesus. Then the town is all changed and encountering Jesus themselves and they turn to the woman. They see her. They say to her, we now know that this is the Messiah, the saviour of the world. So not only did Jesus save her, but he also restored her credibility in her own town and in her own community. He brought her out of the shadows and into the light. He showed her that she had value. Jesus created change through women, like the woman at the well, like Mary, like the bleeding woman, because he saw them and then he repositioned them to become active participants in his church. And we see this not just in the Gospels, but we see this in the New Testament where Paul carries this on and we read about the other women who were deacons, who were co-workers in sharing the faith, who were active participants in the early church. Some people, and often I've had this conversation with some of my friends who don't know Jesus yet, and they will say to me, like, but, you know, there's no women mentioned in the 12 disciples, um, you know, doesn't, isn't, like, being a Christian just all about, you know, women not having any rights? And I just think, oh, how wrong can you be? Let me tell you. Let me explain it to you. And the more I read, I started reading this book by Stanley Grenz, and the book is called Women in the Church, A Biblical Theology of Women in Ministry. And he makes this really cool comment in the book. He says, Jesus gave no explicit teaching on the role of women in the church. In fact, he left no teaching at all concerning women as a class of people. He treated every woman he met as a person in her own right. And I love what he's inferring here because what he's inferring here is there was no separate teaching for women because all the teaching that had come before was for women and men and children alike. 
Every message that Jesus gave, every parable that he told was for the women and the men and the children and all believers. And so suddenly we don't need to look for a certain teaching on how women should behave. We just look for a teaching on how Jesus would have us behave as his people. And we know that speaks to us, whether we're a woman or a man. And that just kind of smashes the stereotype of the biblical time. But I think it's important for us to know today, especially for me when I have a conversation with my friends who don't know Jesus. Like I can tell them how Jesus changed my life as a woman and how he changes the lives of women and children today. But it would be really easy for us to just leave it there. And I don't want to just leave it there. I think that there is a challenge for us in this. And so I very quickly want to go through what I think the challenge is. And there's three parts. Look at that. Did you see? I did that very smoothly then. It worked. All right. I want us to be a voice. I want to be a voice. There are so many incredible things about living here on the Central Coast, but sometimes I forget that there are women and children all over this world who are suffering and who need me, who need us to be their voice. And Ross teaches us so much when we learn about justice about how we can be that voice. We've only got to look in other areas, even in the Western world, you might have seen the hashtag MeToo campaign that was all over social media and the news. Stories of women saying, Me Too, I have encountered sexual abuse, I have encountered sexual harassment, I have felt unsafe in the company of men. We need to be a voice in the way that we speak for these people. We need to be a voice in the way that we raise our children to live in a world that is driven by media and image and kids getting cosmetic surgery at the age of 14. Like, we need to be a voice in that place that says, this is not who you are. We want to provide the love of Jesus in those places. So we want to be a voice. We want to show God's love to women and children wherever they are. And this one is specifically for the men, but I, I really, I, I don't want to be that male blame person. I'm not a woman who's going to stand here and blame men. That's not what this is about. But I do really think that there is a challenge for us as men, not me, men, you men, in the church, men who are followers of Jesus, to reconsider how we treat women. 
I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it just looks like asking some questions. How do I treat the women in my life? Do I objectify women based on how they look? For those who have daughters, am I raising godly women who know their worth? Do I engage in any kind of behaviour that exploits women or children in any way? The society that we live in, the media, it's made the objectification of women normal, expected. We need men who follow Jesus to reconsider. Choose to look at women as daughters of the king. And choose to encourage other men to do so. I want to thank the men in this church because I think I have encountered incredible men who have given me such incredible love and opportunity. So I think we are doing well in this area, but I think it's worth acknowledging that we do need our men to reconsider. And this one is for the women. If I can speak to the women in our church and encourage you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made with incredible gifts and incredible talents. It was always God's plan for women to be part of the kingdom of God, to be shining his light in dark places. So much of our society speaks to women about how they should think, feel, behave. The only place that we need to get that from is from Jesus. He lifted us up. He gave us identity. He died on the cross so that we could be daughters of the King. So please, know your worth. Know what he did for you. Walk it out. And let's be each other's champions. So much in our society tells us that women need to trample on other women in order to reach the top. Let's be women who live our freedom and encourage one another, who uplift one another, who speak good of one another. Joe Vitale in the home group video this week said, You should not be judged on your appearance. You are not a sexual object. Christ has given you the freedom to live life being the person 
that he created you to be. So live in that freedom. There's great joy in that place. Jesus was a game changer in his time for women and he's a game changer in his time now for women and for children. Jesus saw women and children. He brought them into a place where they could know him and be seen and known and loved. Let's be a people who do that too. I want to thank you. I think it is such a great privilege that I get to be a part of an incredible church community, that I get to be a leader here. Not because I'm a woman, but because I'm encouraged to walk in my gifts, as all believers should be. So I hope today that you do feel a little bit challenged, but I hope today that you also, maybe even for the first time for some of you, feel that Jesus sees you, that he knows you, and that he loves you. Will you join with me in praying? Father God, I thank you that you are in this place. I thank you that you do love us. You see us for who we are and you know us. Thank you, Lord, that you have positioned us to speak for women and children. Lord, may our hearts be affected by what your word tells us. May your Holy Spirit convict us in the way that we love. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved us first. Amen.